rise up. What a great day. What an amazing reality. That the thing that we fear the most has been conquered for us by the one that we love the best. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us on Friday. Shed His blood for the forgiveness of all of our sins. That as we place our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, then we are included in the population of people who will live forever with Him in heaven. Jesus Christ is up. This is, uh, you know, as a pastor, this is both the easiest and hardest day of the year. It's the easiest because everybody comes all jacked up and ready to go, you know. Even looks so nice. You know, some of you, I know, I make this stuff look good, but thanks for saying so. My other job is with J.C. Penney. Not really. Some of you guys finally came to the vineyard and you heard that it was a place where you didn't have to dress up and surprise. <laughs> It's all part of the bait-and-switch program of the church. Might as well know about now. But you guys, you guys come, you're all excited. The kids are all jacked up on sugar. Man, that sounds smart. It's the one day of the year where breakfast consists of 3,000 calories of refined sugar and chocolate. Then we send them back to the children's ministry. Aren't you glad you're not back there right now, huh? Yeah, I think so. This is a day that we throw caution to the wind and say sugar for breakfast and all the ham and deviled eggs you can stand for dinner because the worst thing that can happen to you today is that you can die and go to heaven. The Passover supper has been transformed into the Easter dinner in which we eat unkosher meat and make a side dish out of the devil because Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law on the cross and He's conquered death in the resurrection. That's what today's about. It's kind of one of the easiest days for a pastor because it's hard to say anything wrong. You guys, you're all ready to just get into it. Go Bucks. Shall I just wait here till you're done? Or you're so excited. And it's so cool because it's so easy for the pastor because so many seats are filled. There are so many of you that are here. It's so cool. I want to give a shout out to those of you who are here against your will. It's good to see you. In for your annual checkup. It's good. Hope you had a good year. Hope you have another good year. It is good to see you. <laughs> That's always fun. It's also the hardest day of the year. It's hardest because the devil and all of his minions hate this day. They hate this day. 
this annual reminder when the church gets all worked up that says, you're a defeated foe. Jesus Christ beat you on the cross. That riles him up. Man, that riles him up. So for a pastor, we spent a couple of weeks and really literally in spiritual warfare getting to this moment. Karen and I have been casting out demons. We've been taking care of business as God has put it in front of us to do. It's been, it's been tough. It's tough because the devil gets all worked up. And the reason is, is because there's somebody in this room right now. You didn't know it this morning when you wake up, woke up. But today, you're going to turn your heart over to Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord of your life. It's not a trick. It's not a trick. You're in this room. The Holy Spirit's moving and you're already starting to feel some stirring going, I don't know why I'm interested in what that guy's saying. (laughs) I didn't even want to come. We get that. That was most of our stories. I didn't either. But the Lord, the Lord's moving in your heart and we can't help that. And we wouldn't try to stop it. But it gets the enemy worked up. But it's all right, because even though it's hard work to get to this day for pastors and leaders of the church, even though it's hard work, it's amazing to start each battle knowing that you're going to win. That's an amazing thing, even though it's still hard work. And you know you're going to be tired. It's amazing to start it knowing you're going to win. This week, Karen and I were visiting one of our church members who's been sick for almost, I guess, maybe a a year. and Terminally ill is the pronouncement. And uh, over the last couple of months has had just terrible pain from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And now gout has set into some of his joints, which if any of you know anything about that, is very, very painful. So that when we came, he said, you know, you you sort of want to pat him on the back. It's just rather you didn't touch me. You know, everything hurts. And so we spent some time with him and just uh, enjoyed conversation and some of the word. And I said, John, we want to pray for you. He says, absolutely. I said, is there any place that I can put my hand on you? And he said, maybe right there on, you know, my leg between my knee. And so anyway, I, we knelt down on each side of his chair, recliner, he stretched out. And, and we laid hands on him. And we invited the power of the Holy Spirit to come. That's the resurrected Jesus. We invited the power of the Holy Spirit to come. And it was phenomenal. The way God touched him. And when we finished, he said, I felt the pain drain out of my body as you were praying. You know, that's just God. That's God. That's what today is about. You know why that happened? That happened because he's up. He's up. He was dead yesterday. He's alive today. He was in yesterday. He's up today. There are a lot of places that we could go, or several places, I should say, key places we could go in the Bible today to focus our thoughts. All four of the Gospels have the account of the resurrection of Jesus. And if you're new, the Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're the accounts of the life of Jesus, and all four of them, each of them have a specific account of the resurrection. 
uh, a detailed account of the resurrection of Jesus. And each of the four of them kind of focus on different aspects of the resurrection from their point of view. And you can see how that would happen depending on the point of view. But they're, they're all in agreement with each other. On the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead. So we could go to, we could go to any one of the four of them, but I'd like to look at the Gospel of John today. John, in your Bibles, if you have one. If you don't, it's going to be okay, because I'm going to put it on the screen up behind me if it's not already there, okay? If you can see it, I'd like for you, church, to read it with me. And let's read it in faith. This is the living Word of God, right? Let's read it in faith. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put Him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Pray with me, Lord, this is your word, it's not ours. It's your word from your heart. This is not a story, this is not a fable. This is an ancient account of a real event. And so we come to you this morning, Lord. We ask for you to make it live by the power of your Holy Spirit. We didn't come to church today, Lord, we came to you. We didn't come because it's a religious holiday, We're not even good at religion here, Lord. We came because we want to celebrate the truth that your son, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead. And so we invite the present power of your Holy Spirit to come into this place and touch every one of us. Touch every single one of us, wherever we are on this journey with you. Whether our faces are pointed towards you or our backs are turned to you, we invite you, power of the Holy Spirit, to come. And cause this to be a memorable time around your table. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, there are so many dozens of facets of the resurrection, the details of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that could get our attention today. Lots of different things that we could look at. And we've visited a lot of different facets over the years, haven't we? Well, today what I'd like for you to do is just take a few minutes to... Look with me in this passage that we just read at the subtle but obvious differences between the ways that Peter and the other disciple, John, responded to the news of the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, they both received the news at the same time. They were together. And Mary Magdalene came and said, The Lord's gone. His body's gone. We don't know know where where he's gone. And so they both received exactly the same report at exactly the same time. Yet they they responded a little bit differently 
than each other. And I'm really glad to say that Peter comes out the hero this time. All right? Yeah, no. You guys who've been reading your Bible thing, anybody? No? Four of you? Uh, when you read the Bible, you, Peter keeps kind of showing up sometimes as the one who makes the blunder. And uh, some of you may remember that a few years ago, the Lord spoke to my heart very clearly and uh, told me not to make sport of Peter anymore, not to, not to use him as the quintessential bad example. You may remember I, I, I heard this word from the Lord at 35,000 feet. I was in an airplane flying back from India over the Atlantic Ocean, and, and uh, the reception with the Lord is really good up there, you know. <laughs> and so I heard it really clearly. And I was, it was a Thursday, and I'm flying back, and I'm working on my message for Sunday. And uh, uh, I, I, I just heard him uh, say so clearly as I was looking at this passage about Peter, say, stop using Peter as a bad example. And I was humbled right there. Stop using Peter as a bad example. He said... That's my son, that's Peter, and he's my rock. And on him I've built my church, and the gates of hell are not prevailing against him. So I haven't since that day. So I'm so glad to see that he comes out the hero in this passage from my interpretation of it. The single point I want to make today is the subtle but important difference in the way these two disciples responded to the news of the resurrection now, to set this passage in context, which we're really fond of doing here, we have to remember that it would have been a very stressful and confusing time for these disciples. Because, think about it, they'd followed Jesus three years. Now he's dead. They didn't know what's going on. What's happening? They left everything to follow him. They'd heard his promises. They were banking on everything that he was saying was true. And at this point, he's dead. So it would have been very stressful, very confusing. They'd killed him. The Roman, from their standpoint, the Romans had just killed him. They didn't understand all the scriptural background of him dying for sins and rising from the dead. They didn't get that yet. For all they knew, they could rightly assume then that the Romans would have been coming after the next ring of leaders in this scheme, which would have been them. So it would have been a very... Frightening time when they heard these words from Mary Magdalene. They've taken his body away. So we have two disciples that heard it, Peter, who's named. And then the other one was John. And he refers to himself as the other disciple. The one Jesus loved. Isn't that interesting? It's the one whose name, who the gospel bears his name. You know... I'm hum- so humble, I'm not going to say it was me, you know. It's not like Peter and I were walking along. It was Peter and the other disciple, you know, Jesus' favorite. <laughs> the one Jesus loved, right? That's who it is. It's Peter and it's John. And it, the, as you read through this scripture, you see that they ran to the tomb to see, first of all, if this was true, to see what they could make of this story that they'd taken the body of Jesus, their master, their leader, out of the tomb. And it says that they ran to the tomb, but um, John somehow arrived first, I guess because he was a faster runner than Peter. He got there first. But what did John do when he got there? He stopped. He hesitated. 
He's standing before this empty tomb. The tomb in which he, he saw Jesus laid. And now he had a report he was gone. And he stopped. He couldn't make himself go in. He hesitated. You know, you've got to wonder what was going through his mind. Is this some kind of a trap, maybe? Maybe the Romans have taken the body of Jesus away. And they've set up this open tomb to see who was going to come and check out the story. Then they could nab them. So maybe he like ran. <laughs> and then he got to the tomb. He's like. I'm, I'm just checking. Just walking by. But he stopped. He didn't go in. What does it say happened when Peter got there? Verse 6. Then Simon Peter who was behind in his characteristic you know, ready, fire, aim, way, right? It says, he arrived and went into the tomb. Boom! He's in the tomb. He's in the place where the resurrection of Jesus Christ occurred. He's looking around and he's seeing that the linens are neatly folded up. He's seeing that all this stuff's happening. But can you imagine the presence of God that would have lingered in that tomb at that moment? Can you imagine what it would have been like to be in there with the glory of God in that place? And he just jumped right in, man. And that's the difference. It's a difference. Because one of the lessons, I think, is it doesn't matter if you get there first. It only matters what you do when you get there. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for a long time. And maybe chronologically you're way ahead of a lot of us. But the thing is, it doesn't matter who gets there first. What matters is what you do when you get there. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with Jesus if you're still on the outside of the tomb afraid to go in. Did you hear me? I'm preaching better than your amening. Well, make me beg on Easter. Come on. You know, the scandal of the thief on the cross. You know how that goes? That Jesus was crucified between two thieves. And one of the thieves cried out to him. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. This was the first guy to call on the name of the Lord once the blood of Jesus had been spilt. You can make an argument this was the first person who was saved by the blood of Jesus. Even his own disciples. They were there first, but this guy, who's there last, calls out and Jesus says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Because it doesn't matter who gets there first. What matters is what are you going to do when you get there? Are you going in? As Karen and I were talking about this passage this, earlier this week, and I read it a couple times out loud to her, and I said, uh, so tell me, what do you think? And she said the most in- insightful thing. She said, I wonder what made John afraid. She's pretty smart for a girl. She said, I wonder what made John afraid. 
I wonder what held him back. I wonder why I hesitated. And it raises that question. It really gives us an opportunity for us to think about why we're doing this, beloved. You guys who are following Jesus, you guys who are releasing your faith into the name of Jesus, it's a good chance for you to ask yourself why you're doing this. Are we running this race by faith or are we running it in fear? What John was afraid of. It seemed to be a hesitation. Peter got there and his faith just threw him into the tomb. Because that's what faith does. It keeps catapulting you forward in the Lord, doesn't it? I mean, how many of you like me, it's going, how did I get here? That's what faith does. Fear holds you back. I mean, at the core of the message of the gospel are three things. Heaven, hell, and Jesus. That's it. Heaven, hell, and Jesus is the core of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there really is a heaven after this. That when our bodies quit, we're not done. That there really is a heaven after this. And that there really is a hell after this. And that knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives is the only thing that makes the difference between the two. That's the core of the Gospel. Now you can put whatever kind of trappings you want over it. And you can put any name on the outside of the building or the church or the sign. You can align with this group or that group. Any part of the church, capital C, Grand Church, still boils down to the same thing. There's heaven and there's hell and there's Jesus. So it's that simple. But what happens when you consider it that way? Some people, I think, spend their lives, when they think about it that way, trying to run away from hell. I mean, who wants to go to hell, right? I've been told to go there a number of times, but (laughs) hasn't changed my desire at all. Forgot you guys were there. Now we're going to have some fun. <laughs> I mean, nobody, nobody wants to go to hell. That's how I first came to Christ, is because I heard that he was the way out of hell. And so lots of people, I think, start that way. But I see some people try to run the whole race that way. Like they're trying to outrun the devil, outrun hell. The fear of hell is propelling them instead of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that's compelling them. Now the problem with that is you're going to get messed up every time because if you're running in fear of hell, you're running like this. That's not a good way to run. Because what you're missing is the Lord who says, I died for you, I love you, come I've made a place for you at my table. Come and eat. And I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit so you can turn around and plant your feet and you can take out your sword and you can defeat the enemy in the name of my Son, Jesus Christ. That's the difference. One is fear, the other is faith. And I think these guys kind of give us at least a reason 
to think about that. Faith compels you to go in and meet with God. Fear causes you to hesitate and miss the encounter. Genesis 19. Anybody get to Genesis yet? It's right in the beginning. So in the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and his family are escaping. And the word is, come on. Come on, get out. And don't look back. Don't look back. And the Lord is saying, come to me. Don't run from that. Don't look back. And Lot and his family are running and everybody except Lot's wife. What does she do? She's got to look back. And that wasn't good. Some of you are going, how does this end? She turns into a pillar of salt. In the book of Hebrews, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's look at Jesus. That's what it says. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. That's how you run this race, in faith, not fear. When you run it in faith, you have nothing to fear. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. You run it in faith, in the love of the Lord. Is this making sense to anybody? It says that about fixing our eyes on Jesus in the book of Hebrews. Does anybody know what chapter that's in? It's in 12, right. Yeah, good. You were here for the first time, though. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12. What is that after? Good, 11, just count backwards. So it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Keep looking at Jesus in chapter 12, right after chapter 11, which is a full chapter about faith. Our walk with Jesus Christ is not about fear, it's about faith. And this brings us full circle back to this thing we talk about so much here is the difference between empty religion and authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Because listen now, religion is for people who are afraid of going to hell. Faith is for people who want to encounter the living God. And if you're still running away from the devil this morning with your head turned back, trying to escape hell, if you're still running that way, then you're going to miss the most amazing thing the world has ever seen, which is right in front of you, which is the resurrected Jesus Christ. And that's why you came today. If you're still running your race in fear of hell, then you're not running your race in faith of the finish line. You know, there's a finish line to this thing. We're going somewhere. (laughs) <laughs> a few years back when my son Brian and I ran the Columbus Marathon, we, we ran with our eyes fixed on one thing. Guess what it was? <laughs> the finish line. <laughs> exactly. And we loved training together. It's an amazing experience. Spend a year like that with your grown son, best buddies out running together. We, we enjoyed running the race together and Encouraging each other, spurring each other on. But the thing we enjoyed the most was the hilarity of the finish line. That's a crazy place. (laughs) You're all out of everything. 
You've run as hard as you can. Whether it was fast or slow, it didn't matter at that point. You were there. And it's a glorious, glorious place. And I want to tell you something. Once that gun went off, that starting gun went off, we started running and we never looked back. We didn't run it from there. We ran it to there. We never kept running going, I wonder if that gun's going to go off again. Jesus Christ has defeated the devil. Now run forward in faith. That's what the resurrection's about. But that run that my son Brian and I started on that day with ten or 15,000 other people downtown Columbus, that, that run actually started a year earlier than that when we decided we were going to do it. And he showed up over at my house on a Saturday morning, on a cold December morning, and we said, do you think we could cover a mile if we tried? Turns out we could you have enough time. (laughs) Think we could cover two? Turns out we could. And four, and seven, and nine, and 17, and 21. And it turns out that on that day, we could cover 26.2 miles. But it all started on a day a lot sooner than that. And we just kept fixing our eyes on the finish line. We started running that race not even knowing what the finish line looked like. We knew what the starting line looked like. There were thousands of people there. Boom. Whew. There's going to be a finish line. We ran in faith of two things. One, faith that we could cover it because of our training. And we ran it in faith that they weren't lying to us, that there really is a finish line up there somewhere. (laughs) Now, we didn't have to worry about the direction of the course. We just followed the several thousand people who were in front of us. (laughs) There was no worry about that. But we started that race not knowing exactly what the finish line looked like. But we ran in faith that there is a finish line. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. He said, I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. There is a finish line. Keep running. Keep running. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That means that Jesus took our place on the cross so that we can take our, His place at the table. He made a place for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 says that we are already seated with Christ in the heavenly realms because of what Jesus did for us in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise of God. I wonder what glory is waiting for you as you run this journey in faith and not fear. Forget what's behind you. That's what Paul said. One thing I do, he says, forgetting what is behind me, I press on toward the goal for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. When you do that, you'll get a freedom from fear. Would you like to be free from fear? Some of you live in from fear. 
Some of you are living too much from the news. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. I get that. I don't say stick your head in the sand. I don't live from that. Jesus is still in charge. When you start running in faith, fixing your eyes on Jesus, you can get set free from the fear. And so my closing question for you is simply this. What would you do if you weren't afraid? What are some of the things that you would do if you weren't afraid? I mean, you think about stuff, and you go, I could do that. But fear just holds you back. What would you do if you weren't afraid? Where would you go if you weren't afraid? Would you get on an airplane with us and go on a mission trip to Nicaragua or Brazil or India? Would you go? Would you go with me into the remote parts of India and stretch out your hand and see the sick healed and see demons come out of people? Would you go if you weren't afraid? What would you dare to try if you weren't afraid? What would you dare to believe about yourself if you weren't afraid? What would you do if you weren't afraid? Who would you dare to love if you weren't afraid? Who would you dare to try to love again if you weren't afraid? Who would you dare to forgive if you weren't afraid? Would you dare to believe in Jesus Christ if you weren't afraid? I mean, really believe? Would you throw your head back and worship the resurrected Christ if you weren't afraid of what people might think about you? Jesus Christ has canceled your sin and conquered your death. What do you have to be afraid of? The Bible says if God is for us, who can be against us? What would you do if you weren't afraid? Imey and the band are going to come, and I've asked them to sing a song for you. We don't do a lot of that around here. We make you sing with us. But I want them to sing a song for you, and I want you to listen to the message of this song. And I'd like you to just try and sit and listen. If you can. Just sit and listen. Let let the message of this song wash over you, wash over the top of you. Let it do something in your heart and cut away the fear. Let the power of this message just come over you. Ask God to use this message that they're going to sing for you to release you from fear and invite you into a journey of faith. And well, I'm going to let them sing a while, and I'm going to come back. And when I do, we'll give you some words to sing, all right? You know, John tells us in this gospel that we were reading from this morning why it is that he wrote this. John 
chapter 20, a little later on, he says, But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Jesus Christ came to give us life and to give it abundantly. Jesus Christ didn't come and die on a cross and rise from the dead to start a new religion. The world doesn't need any more religion. He came to give you life. I don't care about your religion today. I don't care if you're good at it or bad at it. What I care, what I care is have you found life? Have you found the abundant life that Jesus Christ is offering us through His resurrected presence right here in this room right now. This isn't a trick. This is God moving among us. Somebody here today, maybe many of you, are ready to enter into relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. You may even be surprised. But you're ready. Some of you are in relationship with Jesus Christ. But you're at a place where you say, I think, I'm, I, think I ran to the tomb and stopped. I, think I, I don't think I've really jumped in to the glorious presence of the resurrected Lord. Some of you are here today and you've been in that place, but you haven't been there in a while. And you're ready for a refreshing. You need a refreshing. Well, in just a moment, church, I'm going to have you stand and sing. And as we do that, I want want to invite anybody who's sensing that stirring for any of those things just to rush up here and worship God from up close. I'm not going to do anything to you. I'm not going to give you anything or make you do anything. Just come and draw close and see if this thing that I'm talking about is true. Because i got to tell you this. I'm nobody special. I am not your priest. I refuse to be your priest. I am your brother in Christ. And what that means is that anything that I've had, you can have too. Anything that you see in me, you can have too. Because that's why Jesus died on the cross for you. You don't need a priest. You don't need somebody standing between you and Him. Jesus is a great high priest. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to me. On your your feet, church. Come on. Come on. Come on.